right. Hey, um, this is Imogen sitting this is next Celeste. to All right, cool. <laughs> That's an intro. Imogen, Celeste. We are talking to Vlad, senior editor at The Verge, who talks about mobile things, phones, headphones, uh, other things that are not that, cameras, cars, um, things that you can take around with you and how they relate to you. Um, Vlad, thanks for being with us. Thank you, and I love this intro. I think I might <laughs> just cut it and save it. It's like seriously professional. We're doing great. Um, so today we want to talk about progress and specifically um, how the definition of that has changed. Um, we have these notions of utility and fashion and style um, and convenience that are all sort of blurring into one idea of progress, innovation, advancement. And when something new comes out, they're all sort of wrapped up together and packaged as the same thing. Um, so yeah. Sorry, sorry is, is there a question in that? <laughs> um, no, I was just hoping that we would go into a conversation. Um, but let me let me start a thing. So Vlad, you've written a lot, and um, The Verge generally covers a lot um, of the question, what is a computer? Um, and we've seen over the past like 20 years um, different cycles of how computers are supposed to change the world. Um, first, it was the personal computer at home, productivity, telecommunicating, um, and we found it was just a gateway to the internet in the end. Phones were going to change the world. We found out those were just going to be a gateway to the internet. Same thing with tablets. Now we're back to phones. And what is a phone? Is a phone a computer? Wait, a tablet's a computer, right? Let's put computers on our wrist, computers in our fridge. Yeah. Um, recently, you talked about um, the iPad Pro and how the laptops um, in, in the MacBook line and then iPads on the other side represent sort of a split vision of compu computing that can be perceived as like the past and the future. Um, what do you think makes that difference? Well, the difference is always what people end up adopting. Um, but I, you know, I, I struggle with your introduction because to me, you can write an entire book about this notion of progress, exactly as you set it out, um, and how many things blend into it. Um, you know, and for, for myself, I do feel like the job that I do has an inherent hypocrisy in it because I care about the environment, for example. I care about sustainability. I care about um, the mental health of it, the mental health of people and the way technology impacts on that. At the same time, I am one of the biggest promoters of new consumer tech and consumption as well. So I, that's part of the struggle of my job is trying to reconcile those two things. Um, and the way that I see it, and this is probably self-serving, is that when I do the reviews that I do and when I test new gadgets and technology, I save people the hassle of doing that themselves. And I try and steer them in the right direction. So... On the technology side of things, it's a matter of, is it better to use something with a physical keyboard and a clamshell, such as a laptop, or is it better to use a tablet, which lets you do other things, right? Um, is it more natural, for example, to use a pen uh, as a stylus on a tablet versus a keyboard, which, let's face it, a physical keyboard comes from typewriters. Um, mm. And that hasn't evolved a great deal. So if we're talking about progress, that hasn't progress, progressed a great deal. It just, um, the buttons don't travel two inches anymore. They travel millimeters. Um, so, so that's it. And, and as far as services go, 
uh, I feel much more comfortable with services because then I can just tell people to, you know, quit Facebook and um, avoid the most intrusive uh, services that are around. Um, but yeah, I mean, not not to not to sound like uh, a person who endorses the "Make America Great Again" mm-hmm. slogan, but there is a time in history where I feel like society kind of reached its peak for progress, um, and we're kind of struggling with the fact that we still have this impetus to do more and to progress further as opposed to say, okay, where did we get it right? Especially with technology. Um, I feel like it might've been around the year 2000 when we had the right and optical le- optimal level of connectivity where we all had phones, well, majority of people had phones in the developed world, um, but there was a limit to what they could do with it, right? So if everybody had a phone but in a much more limited capacity than we have right now, um, I think things would be better. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that really gets at um, the idea of, you know, once we hit that peak, it's all sort of now about changing the expression of things, like the metaphors. Um, and like, it's really, we haven't really evolved past a society, past that as a society, um, in how we communicate what these like changes are. Um, we had connectivity, like you said, around the the turn of the millennium, and that was actually seriously impactful. And now um, it seems like we're we're adding all these new flashy ways to uh, to interact with the same invention. Um, but the the motives behind that are all about you know data collection and passive consumption, and um, and and just optimizing the way that the way that we get things that we already have. It's the idea of it not actually doing new things. It's just you're behaving with it differently. Um, that gets to a thing that you wrote about Stadia, um, which has to do with, you know, it's it might not even be about gaming. It's just about, you know, connecting all these dots, even if it's the same things that already exist. You know, we already have Twitch. We already have YouTube. We already have game consoles. We even already have game streaming. Um, but what's really different different and significant with Stadia is the packaging. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, th- this was a funny thing because in a previous lifetime, almost it feels, before I became a technology journalist, um, I trained to be a research analyst for an investment firm. Like I say, I'm a terrible person, really. <laughs> I'm a terrible human being. Um, and but, but the one thing that I learned there was... Um, well, I, I did like a, I was allowed to choose my own company to do a research on it and then uh, do a sort of a projection on how it's going to develop, whether its share price is going to be rising or falling, etc. And they asked me, what sort of a company is Google? And I was like, well, it's a search company, obviously. Um, and I'm like, no. Um, and then I thought about it and Chrome was around, Gmail was around. So I was like, uh, well, it does email as well and it does browsers. And they're like, no. And I kept guessing at all the, user-facing services and they were like ultimately the thing that google is is the thing that it makes money from so google is an advertising company Hmm. Uh, facebook is an even more extreme example of an advertising company like everything that we see is uh, well it's the veneer on it it's the how do i get the production unit which is a unit of attention um and how do i monetize that Mm -hmm. and this is the thing that scares me when i um, you know, I, I know people who work at companies like Google and Apple and et cetera. Um, 
And when I think about how things operate inside them, it can all look very much like a game. And that's a scary thing. You have really smart people because in order to get one of those jobs, you have to pass for a whole bunch of hurdles and you have to be really smart. And then you give them a game and they are not thinking about it in the social, cultural context and thinking about the externalities. They're literally thinking, how do I get more attention? Um, the question is almost, what can I get away with in terms of privacy invasion to get that attention? And then how do I sell that to an advertiser? Totally. Um, I've been working at tech companies for a few years. And like as a designer, the entire narrative, which is really disgusting, is entirely about like stickiness and engagement and conversions. How do we get people to stay in this thing? And how do we get people to keep clicking with making as few decisions as possible? Um, and it's really stripping the agency out of the way we interact with things. And it's changing, um, you know, it's making it so people don't understand that Google is now ad network and Facebook is now ad network. It's like these companies are like federalizing and they're becoming states under themselves and replicating society in all these like minor ways. You know, Facebook has an entire life on it if you want to opt into that. Um, but yeah, it's all, it's all just really unhealthy and it's, it's, it's kind of purposeless in a way. Yeah. Well, I was thinking you guys are talking about progress um, defined in a few different ways, right? What um, there's this tech progress in how we can advertise and gather data, um, but there's also the progress in the connectivity, right? And so. Is that the difference in tech? Is there a shift in um, the connection that we have with each other? And can that can that be helpful? Right. When I was reading through your articles, Vlad, um, I was wondering what your intended kind of impact and audience was like. How are you expecting to uh, affect people with your message? Oof, that's that's a heavy question. <laughs> I, um, oh, I'm a therapist. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, I I wouldn't say I'm on some sort of crusade. Um, mm -hmm. I try and actually restrain myself from doing that because um, the Verge is still a consumer tech mm -hmm. uh, website, and and actually, this isn't. Uh, I'm not speaking on the website's behalf. I'm speaking on my own behalf. I feel like we're kind of in the entertainment business, okay? Um, okay? Most of our readership comes from people reading while they're in the office and they're kind of killing time and trying to distract themselves. Mm -hmm. So I can't sit down and write an absolute doomsaying article, well, more than once a year, <laughs> let's say. Um, so, I mean, I try and balance it. On the one hand, people just come to the website and they want to geek out about gadgets and technology, and that's what I most often give them. Mm -hmm. um, but then you, you, you can pick your moments and when there's a particularly egregious and obvious example of where the privacy invasion that comes in, in inherently from the incentives that companies have nowadays, um, that's where it's my opportunity to speak out against it. Um, okay. So I don't necessarily see myself as having a mission in this, <laughs> um, but I do feel like there's a responsibility um, because the thing is, when tech companies were working on Apple's business model, which was sell hardware, mm -hmm. I feel like the incentive was much better. Because if you're a hardware company, the things that you want to reduce 
coincide with the user's interest, right? So if you're Apple, you want to make sure you have really great quality assurance because that means people won't come and return stuff. They won't need to do repairs and that saves you money. Uh, what that means for the consumer is I get a better laptop out of it, mm -hmm. right? Uh, if you give people better battery life than all the Windows laptops, maybe they'll pay a premium and people have been doing that for ages with MacBooks. And again, the thing that people pay more money for and the thing that makes you more profitable is a thing that's a benefit to them. Yeah. Now, this is the trouble with um, the ephemeral products that Google and Facebook, quote unquote, sell. Um, and it's also the trouble with them being free, right? Because if they screw you over in some way, it's a free service. So what are you going to claim? What, mm. what is their liability towards you? You don't really have much of a relationship in any case. Um, and you inherently, uh, by virtue of the contracts and the license agreements that nobody reads, but agrees to, um, you give them the access to things you're not aware you're even doing. So I don't know, I like, uh, I'm trying to <laughs> think of a more positive spin to this scenario, but it really is something that feels like it's going to come to some sort of a point mm -hmm. um, where people are either going to wake up about it or is just going to... I don't know. Mm -hmm. Well, no, I hear what you're saying. It sounds like you write about both of those types of progress, right? Your audience is uh, the people who are interested in the tech development and um, you're trying to educate them, right, on what that means if they're interested in it. And yeah. that's something that we've been talking about a lot at Healthy Computer, right? Um, is the use of technology and the marketing of technology, something that's always been happening. And so then is the conversation, how can we educate people if we're more connected than we were before? Um, do we have an opportunity to kind of increase autonomy in the way that these products are used or um, conversely, and I don't know if this is something you've thought about, um, do people tend to self-select into communities, right? Um, where they talk about their autonomy more. So, um, a long time ago, I worked at the Eating Disorder Association, and when I was there, they were trying to push legislation to have um, photoshopped images uh, added uh, with a disclaimer, right? So any image that was photoshopped would have a disclaimer on it saying it was photoshopped so that it wouldn't push unrealistic body standards, right? Yeah. Um, and so that's a specialized community, right? If you're um, involved in the eating disorder community, you're going to be part of that conversation. Um, similarly, there are like self-selected communities in Reddit. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, Instagram reality, right? Where um, people post pictures of people on Instagram that are face-tuned and then what they actually look like. And so does the internet or does um, increasing technology um, give us an opportunity to get at people before they self-select into these communities and increase their autonomy? How do we um, kind of, can we bring more people um, into awareness of what's going on with marketing? Mm -hmm. I, th I think we can, absolutely. Um, and and the, the, what's the encouraging thing is Apple and Google implemented into their operating systems um, the measures for time spent on device and time spent in app and so on mm -hmm. uh, over the past year. And this was off the back of some activism in Silicon Valley um, where people were pushing those companies and they were really getting the message through to them. Um, 
So I think that is the optimis- optimistic lining to the story, which is that if you put pressure on the right people within those companies, you can see change. Okay. Um, and speaking for myself, I know that I've been using the latest version of Android and I have been setting a time limit to my use of Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have been monitoring, like, I'll get into a game and I'll spend hours on it and then I'll go back and check how many hours it was. Um, and that might shame me into playing <laughs> it less. Or it, 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 Honestly, like, just that little extra bit of insight and visibility is important because you kind of, you can get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, you can forget how much of your time and attention you spent on these things. Now, the dark side of all of this is, sure, we can catch people, but there is such an overwhelming flow of information um, that the the loudest voices, the noisiest, most provocative, uh, and usually the ones speaking the worst message tends to be the ones that get through. Mm. Um, and, and, and that's the tricky thing. I mean, even, even for myself, I'm supposed to be internet savvy and all of that stuff but i still get most of my information just off twitter and i spend too much time on youtube uh thankfully i never really got into facebook so that's fine i'm (laughs) free of that but it's um i mean this is again going back to the original point about progress there was a point at which like previously it was um and this is true of food it's true of information as well we used to have a deficit of those things and mm-hmm. we thought more of it is always going to be better, right? And then we got to a point where more food wasn't always going to be better. Um, and now we're still struggling to figure out a reasonable diet where we're balancing that. Yeah, and what, um, what terrifies me about that is, you know, we have companies doing the simple thing of saying, we're going to give you the tools to help you use your phone less, but it doesn't actually do anything to change the habits around how it's used. Um, and it, it kind of ignores... Um, you know, the way that we've set up these communities and how everything has been taken over by um, the attention economy or even like as as far as like, you know, turning labor practices and do like a microtransaction with with gig economy apps like like Uber or like Fresco or all these all these other things where it's like really small payments, you know, TaskRabbit, stuff like that. Um, everything getting into smaller units and being less about the meaning and the substance and more about um, like a binary reaction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean there, there's also just so much abstraction. I also find um, I, I mean, okay. So just a bit of background on myself. I migrated from Bulgaria to London 22 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I did, my father was the only person getting paid in the family. And at the Every Friday, he would go to the office of his employers. He was a laborer and he would get a little pay packet. It's a little brown packet and, and it's like paper in it. And honestly, that wasn't my earned money. But every time we got that pay packet, it felt like it was mm. like, yeah, you, you had an achievement for the week. And now I get paid more than my father did, but it just goes into a digital thing and there's a number there. And I'm like, okay, well, that's good, right? And there's nothing. Um, and we lose like so much of life and like human habit is tangible and it's physical and it's and it's like we just turn all of that into digital stimulants you know you you logged in to facebook and you get an achievement in the game and blah 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 and, and we, it's like we we've run out of the natural stimulants where 
you know, a carpenter might build something. And this just, I'm sounding like a hippie right now, but st still, a carpenter might build something and he has a physical object and that's his work or her work. And that's kind of a reward in itself. And then you go and you sell it and you get the economic reward. Whereas now we're all performing all these tasks and we can't even necessarily justify why we're doing them. And I don't think that has to be like uh, a distinction between like physical and digital, right? It's just that the values that were that were embedded into the way that we produce things uh, in like tangible reality um, haven't really been carried over. And because everything sort of um, Celeste had this really good metaphor, like every, the, the deck was shuffled and then everything sort of fell back into place the same way. But what was missing was a lot of the care, a lot of the accountability um, and like. I guess domain specificity of things and and how like things were meant to suit a certain purpose. Now everything is sort of um, monolithic in its aesthetic and its expression um, because it's all about like one set of patterns um, that's like abstracted out of reading because it was the one thing available as an analogy for digital screens. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good point. Is that something I hadn't actually thought about? But yeah. Uh, were books really was writing the problem? Is that is that how far back we need to go? Yeah, like I imagine uh, there was a time when there were old people when like the printing press came out and they were like, ah, look up from the books and talk to each other, kids. Like stuff. Like I that. mean, Plato did. Uh, as far as I know, Plato really complained. He was like, if you start writing things down instead of remembering them yourself, uh, you're going to harm yourself. You're going to harm your mind and your abilities and so on. And maybe that was alarmism in his day and age. But now I, I, I believe somebody wrote about this already. Like how much of what you think is your memory is actually your memory and how much are you outsourcing Mm -hmm. it to digital devices, digital services, and so on. And that's scary when I think about it myself. Like, I didn't remember what time we had to meet today. <laughs> I, I, like, I knew I knew it, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew I had access to it within seconds, but I didn't remember it in my mind. I only remember one single phone number. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so, you know, I mean, I worry about that fact. Um, when I've discussed it with colleagues and friends, they're like, well, you, you don't need to remember a second phone number because there's <laughs> all these backups for your contacts and so on and so on and so on. The system works. And mm -hmm. to a great extent, it does, yeah. right? But like, but like, it's also really scary to be like walking around a city and realizing you're entirely dependent on a map. And if your phone dies, you're fucked because you don't know how to get around. And like, yeah. it also like really creeps me out. Like when I open Google photos and I see like a summary of a weekend that I don't remember <laughs> happening. And I like, I don't even know if it <laughs> like carried the same tone or sentiment that Google is presenting to me. That's very valid. Um, I mean, I know with Google photos, sometimes I'll take photos at events and Google just identifies a recurring face. And it would be the face of a stranger in the background <laughs> of some photos at an event I've taken. Oh my God. And it's like, put, put a name to this person's <laughs> face. And I'm like, I don't know them. You can get to know them. I mean, yeah. If, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's wild because it's another thing. I took a photo. Uh, well, a friend of me, a friend of mine took a photo of me at the NAMM show when I was in LA in January. And it, it was just, the cheesiest tourist photo where I was stood next to the NAM logo in, in big lettering. And my face might have been 
I don't know, like 2% of the photo. It, it was it was just like a really, really distant photo. And, and it was also backlit. So the sun was shining and my face was almost in shadow. It's not the best photo in the world. And it identified me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, Google Photos also see a fraction of somebody's face. It would be cut off at the edge of the photo. It would identify them. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, the, the technological progress of just coming up with that sort of image recognition and precision and accuracy is super, super impressive. And and again, that's kind of the tension uh, for us at The Verge, which is that we can't not appreciate that because as a technical achievement, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, how that's being deployed and the incentives that drive the companies to create these technologies, that's the really scary part. Um, and if, if I can be so simplistic, it kind of ultimately comes back to capitalism. Mm-hmm. And the fact that, and, and I'm not saying capitalism is all bad, we need to get rid of it. I'm saying it's amendable, right? One of the first things is, as a CEO of a company, your main responsibility is quote unquote shareholder value, which basically means profit. Mm-hmm. And that can change. Like you don't need to break up all of capitalism to just say, okay, maybe that shouldn't be the key responsibility. Maybe it's not about profit. Maybe we can introduce considerations like solidarity and the things that Imogen was raising earlier. Yeah, I mean, I'd even go farther and say that we should just replace all corporations with worker self-directed enterprises. And then <laughs> the profit motive is like more communally communally shared and it's balanced with all the individual concerns of the people actually building the things. And it ensures that the people who build the things are invested in making it good, not just for the bottom line, but for the community it affects. Well, yeah, yeah sorry, we're going to... I would disagree. Okay. That's all right. Um, well, I was thinking with what you were describing with the um, kind of uh, bag of money, right, and the um, physicality of that. Um, now that everything is um, more digital, right, and people are paid. Um, can you turn your mic off? I have an echo. Okay. And now that uh, people are more attentive to their. Um, Well, I think the value is more salient, right? If you don't have the money in hand, right, you can ask yourself, why am I being paid, right? Or I, you embed part of your identity um, in the work that you're doing. So maybe it's more possible now to do the type of work that Imogen was saying. I know you said that it was kind of um, gamified, right, when you were working. Yeah. Or in, yeah, so um, what happens, you know, when you pull away the physicality, of something, what gets replaced, what rushes in to fill the space, because it's not just the loss of something, right? It's it's some sort of change. Um, and so I think, and Imogen was using my, my card metaphor before, right? Is the, um, is the change just a opportunity to shuffle a bit differently? Um, probably, uh, <laughs> but, but, but this is the issue. I, I came across, um, Somebody had put together some data on lobbying from the big tech companies. Um, and Google is spending the most on lobbying and Facebook is close there as well. And you just look at the topics on which they lobby politicians on. And it's Google and Facebook, it's privacy, number one. And mm-hmm. then tax, number two or three. And, it, and it's literally, what are the things driving the bottom lines of these companies? That's mm-hmm. how, like, the more important is the bottom line, the more to spend on it. So... 
these companies know exactly what they're doing. This is the scary thing. Yeah. Um, they can present an image of saying, oh, we are addressing this. I mean, Twitter's Jack Dorsey is the perfect example of somebody who knows all the right questions to ask and who says all the right challenges that the company faces and then doesn't do anything about them. Mm. But, mm. But, the, but they're savvy about these things and they're powerful. Um, I mean, my interpretation of the past couple of years with Donald Trump as the US president is just to, well, it, it gives me, it confirms my impression that the US economy kind of runs itself. <laughs> and the companies that make it as strong as it is, Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Google, are the ones who have these monopolistic positions and just aren't going to budge, right? There isn't going to be somebody else taken over from Google. And there isn't somebody else who we can see as a viable competitor to Facebook. Instagram might have been because Instagram is growing in importance, but Facebook already owns Instagram. Mm. Ello. Ello's going to do it. <laughs> is, is that still around? <laughs> I, I think it might actually still be online. I want to check right now. <laughs> oh my God, it is. Wow, that was fun. Okay. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's like, I I wonder a lot about whether, you know, there ever will be a, a challenger or any challengers to major tech companies that, that does anything more than like, you know, contribute to a, a slow decline of an empire. But if, if that even happens, that would take like a hundred years for like an Apple or a Facebook to wind down. Um, and it's going to get even worse because, you know, with, with everyone pivoting to services and even like banking with Apple, um, these these companies are only becoming more and more like states unto themselves. I mean, I, I exactly. don't even understand how we can be talking about them becoming. They are. Yeah. Uh, it's it's wild to me because they are city states already. Like Apple's campus is enormous, and it has everything in it, and you can live in it, you can breed in it. I'm sure they probably have. <laughs> hospital facilities and everything. Uh, I visited Google's campus for Google I.O. a year and a half ago or so, and a friend of mine gave me a tour. And I joked because they have everything. They have photography studios just for people who want to entertain photography as a hobby, not to shoot products. Wow. Um, and everything you need, you can have taken care of. They have, I don't know, 17 buildings or 20 buildings and whatever. So if you have a particular preference for cuisine, you can just look up which building is serving what sort of cuisine. And then you go to that building. And I joked, okay, so one of my dreams is uh, one day I want to have my own, you know, chicken coop and look after my own chickens. <laughs> and, and I was like, you, like the, you the only thing you Google. guys don't have, <laughs> no, but the, the thing I said was the only thing you guys don't have is a little chicken farm. And she's like, no, we do. Oh wow. my God. They have vegetable patches and chicken farms and all of that stuff and all of that stuff. And, and the really, and again, externalities, the issue is they're not spending any money in the local economy. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, and I, I, I want to get back to what you said, but I'm just wondering first, um, does Google confer degrees yet? Because, well, I was thinking, <laughs> <laughs> so they, um, well, I don't remember if it was Google or another one of the tech giants, maybe Apple. Someone announced somewhere that they're taking more um, employees that don't have bachelor's degrees 
And I was thinking, you know, there's all these adjunct. So academics is in a crisis right now where they have these like underpaid adjuncts. And I was like, oh, very soon, if they're accepting people without bachelor's degrees now, they're going to start educating them on campus and creating degrees if they're not doing that already. You have WeWork doing that as well. Like um, it started with WeWork offices having nursing rooms. And now there are, um, you know, WeWork has an entire arm called WeGrow that's like a preschool to like a primary school. Um, And they're probably just going to extend that and make it so there's, you know, a whole like, you know, you go to WeWork, you fall in love on the the member network that you can log into, and then you send your kids to WeGrow, and then they grow up, and then they start working at a WeWork. That's so dystopian. <laughs> right? Wow. Yikes. Um, so if, 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 and this is what we've been talking about, right? It's the same kind of cycles over and over again. If, if progress is just that we find new versions for... Um, things given the new technology we have, then um, are we looking at like uh, these corporations becoming kind of like feudal, right? With like serfs and stuff. I think that that's kind of what we're talking about, right? You get I mean, your degree. I mean, mm-hmm. Maybe I'm overstating it, but I feel, I feel like they're there already. Yeah. Um, but here's, here's a tricky thing. I feel like one of the reasons why I write about technology and not, um, let's say, uh, fashion, food, etc., is because it feels like there's a constant move forward. So, so like again, this constant progress. Really, there are so many layers to it. Mm-hmm. Because the phone that I reviewed in 2010 might have been the best phone of 2010, but it's garbage compared to today. Wow. Um, so coming back to the hardware side of things, I've just been reviewing a new phone camera, which takes amazing photos at night. Mm -hmm. And only six months ago, I was reviewing a phone camera, which took amazing photos at night, but now they look ugly (laughs) compared to these ones. And that rate of progress is always there and it's always driven and it's always happening. And that's really the thing that encourages me. I've also been a sports fan for a long time. And I can tell you with uh, sports jerseys, what Adidas and Nike would do every year, it's it's a cycle. So one year, they give you the most high-tech, the most advanced, the most sweat-wicking fabric in the world, right? Mm-hmm. It's the greatest. Spend a lot of money on it. The next year, they're like, hey, we're going back retro. It's cotton. We're keeping it simple, <laughs> right? And then, again, it's the greatest. Spend a lot of money. Next year, the most high-tech. And then they just keep <laughs> cycling that. And, and that's where I, I grow frustrated. It's with that cycling stuff where mm-hmm. they just refreshing your uh, your palate, I guess. So you, you start feeding the hunger for the product and the consumption. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like it's, you know, it's creating this illusion of like uh, approaching perfection, but like we're never going to do that. Shoes are always going to work the same way and occasionally one's going to explode on a, on a basketball courtroom. Um, mm. I was going somewhere else, but I forgot. Hmm. Well, the, 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 were the self-lacing shoes, which, um, then had a malfunction and stopped unlacing themselves. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Well, I'm thinking, hmm. So you talk about this manufactured idea of progress, right? But at the same time you have the technology yeah. kind of ramping up. And so how is the challenge... And before, you know, back when we first started talking, we were talking about how to um, increase audiences' autonomy 
by giving them um, the tools or the education, right, to recognize these trends. And so is the balance that there's this kind of like always this dystopian presence with all of these products and you can divert it a little bit, right? So you have a camera and it's somewhat dystopian because it's um, auto uh, automatically feeding to things that could recognize your face. But you can also like... Um, record um, someone uh, sexually assaulting someone else, right? And report them. Or you can record you wearing each fashion trend, right? And you can, there's more salience to what those trends are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, the positive side of these things is absolutely true. First of all, without Twitter, you and I wouldn't be talking right now. Yeah. Um, what are we using? Google Hangouts? So mm -hmm. then we're also thanking Google for the connection. Um, there's a tech company that produces the microphone I'm using. There's Apple for the laptop. There's another company that produces the earphones, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the positives are absolutely there. And one of the things that I've been really encouraged about is one of the most influential, well, the most influential tech YouTuber is a guy called Marcus Brownlee. Um, and he started off maybe in his late teens and he, he's a young black kid. If you had to imagine a young black kid becoming an authoritative tech reviewer on the networks, the TV networks that you had in the past, it just doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. Right. Not at his age. And again, I feel like there's still plenty of prejudice that would get in his way, but YouTube made that possible. Yeah. And, you know, every time I see him posting a video, I feel happy about that, even though, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily reflect on me. Uh, it's not my race, but I, I am pleased that that level of democratization and inclusion is available because of the technology. But, but to your question about what we can do as users to rein in the negative effects, I think there's very little. Yeah. Uh, I, I think... Like you have Google, which has teams and teams of people, like I say, addressing the issue of privacy and thinking about how to present something as private while at the same time being invasive. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have just you. And, and you're overwhelmed by a bunch of uh, information streams and you don't know how to prioritize because they are not designed for you to be able to prioritize in the first place. They're designed for you to just be constantly scrolling. Mm -hmm. um, and again, if we... Uh, think of ourselves as savvy consumers of information and we fall into these traps. Like speaking for myself two days ago, and I hate myself for this, I got frustrated while I was playing a game because I couldn't activate a video ad, which would get me some gems in order for me to <laughs> progress in the game. And is, so if I am somebody who hates in-app purchases and in-game ads, and at the same time, I'm frustrated that I can't trigger the video ad, that tells you that we're not, as in control is people tell us that we are. We don't have as much agency as people tell us that we do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, you're, would you be as aware, right, um, if things were different? I guess it's an impossible question to answer, right? Um, would you see that you were being marketed to, say... If, if yeah. which things are different? Um, so say you were like passing, I'm trying to think of the equivalent, right? It would be like, um, an advertisement, like at a bus stop or something, right? You're bored. You don't have a phone cause they don't exist yet. And you're waiting for the bus and you're staring 
at an ad because there's nothing. Maybe you finished your newspaper already, right? Um, does the bus come and you momentarily become like frustrated because you can't see the ad anymore or like finish looking at it? Is that the equivalent? Oh, no, I, I wasn't frustrated yeah. at not yeah. seeing the ad. I, I really wanted to yourself. make progress in the game. Yeah. Th this is the other thing. Like nobody... Nobody is encouraged to watch more ads. P people mm -hmm. just see that as a necessary evil to the yeah. progress. Um, and, and again, this kind of goes to the, the point where people like to create things. People like to progress and to increase numbers. Okay, so it, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm kind of describing gamification right here, but that's yeah. really the case. Um, so you just accept unpleasantness. Uh, some of my, fa my favorite game is Dota 2. And in Dota 2, 99% of the time, you die and people yell at you because you're terrible. <laughs> but you live for that 1% where you do something well and you're like, yes. Mm. And, and, then, and then, I don't know how we got to this stage, but yes, the vast majority of games on Android are either triggering you to do in-app purchases or they're telling you um, in order for you to get the thing to make you get to the next stage, you have to watch this video ad. I think there's another good metaphor in there with Dota, which is that you have to sort of, um, if I remember correctly, in, in, in some situations, you have to kill your own minions um, to get an advantage. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, there's a lot of that built into the way we do things, like the, what you're talking about with um, uh, getting an ad so you can get more gems to progress or, um, you know, scrolling past ads in the feed or like installing Soundflower to record a podcast. Like we we all have to make sacrifices that are annoying, um, but we tolerate them and sometimes we don't even notice them. Yeah, yeah. But ultimately, I, I feel like um, the main thing to communicate to a US audience is that the answer is regulation from a savvy government which kind mm -hmm. of sounds fantastical, but mm -hmm. it's real. It can happen. Um, I know the European Commission has constantly been on Google's case about its monopolistic practices with Android, with online shopping portals, with prioritizing its own services and so on. Mm -hmm. And it's it's kind of it, it's kind of like, uh, well, I don't know if there are any countries that make it legal to sell your kidneys, but most countries make it illegal because mm -hmm. it's just really inadvisable. Uh, so there's all sorts of self-harm that it makes sense to just make it illegal so people aren't tempted, aren't nudged into doing it. Yeah, and there was something really poignant that was either by you or one of your colleagues at The Verge um, that I saw on Twitter, which is that, you know, everyone's up in arms about the idea of the internet becoming more regionalized with, with regulations being different between the EU and the US and, of course, in more authoritarian states like China. Um but like, is that really a bad thing? Because in what that means is we have a spectrum of rights and protections and regulations and, and privacy. And if it means that companies are find it more difficult to globalize and to become states as they are in a lot of cases, um, then maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe maybe that's yeah. just the responsibility of governments to enforce good practices and values around technology. Yeah, it's true. Uh, again, I, I don't want to argue against globalization. Like, there are so many benefits. I especially have benefited from globalization as somebody who's born in Eastern Europe and spent the first um, however many years of my life not being allowed to travel anywhere until Bulgaria went into the European Union. So I'm totally in favor of that. But I feel like it's just a matter of 
scale. Mm -hmm. uh, Google would not be as intimidating a company. Facebook would not be as troublesome a company if they just weren't the scale that they are. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think the same is true of Amazon. Amazon is now, you know, the biggest shipping company in the US and it's the biggest retail and the biggest, et cetera, et cetera. And it just keeps growing and growing. And it's like, I get, I also understand economies of scale. But at the same time, the thing that I find is that uh, anytime a company goes into efficiency mode, what that basically means is people are going to suffer. People are going to lose jobs. People are going to have to work harder, work more hours, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so maybe this is uh, just my theory, but maybe allowing more slack and more inefficiency in your economy is a good thing mm -hmm. uh, because inefficiency basically means somebody's getting paid somewhere. That's, that's mm -hmm. not a bad thing. It, it just means money trickles down. The most efficient capitalist, corporation funnels money up hmm. and, and, and and the other thing is they don't need that this is the other, this is the wild thing like if you have like 20 million dollars you struggle to spend it yeah and we're talking about people being 100 billionaires we, we don't have a word for it multi-multi-billionaires mm -hmm. like you can take away $20 billion worth of Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos's net worth and they won't notice. Yeah, we don't need to operationalize the humanity out of things just so a few people can add a couple of zeros. Exactly. Mm. And, and and this is the, the other thing is, I spend a lot of my time dealing with US companies, interacting with US um, colleagues and friends and so on. So uh, my, my view can be a bit bleak on these things, but at the same time, there are companies like Victorinox in Switzerland, which as far as I know, they've never laid off an employee and they're super proud wow. of that. Um, and if, if you guys, I mean, I'm sure you've heard in the U S that Sweden and Denmark are really socialist because they have high levels of taxes. That's not true at all. Mm -hmm. So Sweden is one of the most individualistic societies in the world. It's just people trust that they serve their own interests by paying higher taxes. And it's actually true. Uh, so it's, it's really a matter of changing mindsets. Um, mm -hmm. But again, it, it kind of needs some regulatory power. Um, and especially for people who are actually savvy about these things, because uh, mm -hmm. I mean, you've seen the tweet, the tweet storms when they do um, congressional hearings about tech and, tech CEOs come along and they, they're basically laughing at the questions, right? Mm -hmm. I, I just Googled myself and why is the second result <laughs> something, something, something? Mm. Well, I think that regulation you're talking about is, um, it's, it's top down, right? If it comes from the government and then it's bottom up, right? If it comes from people who are challenging um, the tech, giants either through Twitter or some other means, right? So um, that circles back to this um, increasing autonomy through the audience idea. Um, yeah, but, but yeah. Just, just to the point about bottom-up, mm -hmm. it, it comes back to scale again. Like yeah. how, mm -hmm. how big a group of people do you need yeah. in order to affect somebody like Google, in order to exactly. nudge them in any direction? Yeah. And is it possible, you know, if people do um, self-select into communities where these conversations are either not going to be had at all or be had very frequently, but to very little effect because it's such a small population. And I think um, 
I wanted to bring up for us to discuss. I know we're um, running short on time, but one of my uh, favorite studies, uh, it's this landmark study in social psych um, where the researchers presented people with um, old wives tales, right? And then they presented them with um, information challenging those old wives tales. Then they um, gave them something new to talk about and challenged that idea. And the researchers found that the um, people were less likely to um, let go of their beliefs on the old wives tale tales. The idea or the interpretation that they made was that um, people are used to defending against arguments um, that they've heard a lot of times. And so they've heard these um, arguments against old wives tales so many times, you know, and to bridge that to the conversation that we're having right now about like um, capitalism and um, commodifying attention people are familiar that capitalism is like to a certain extent right not at, it doesn't have your best interests at heart the government is like um, not that interested in the um, the individual right so does is tech like that new information or that new version that we can? challenge quickly or is the window closing um on it becoming uh defended against right oh that's bleak yeah <laughs> uh, but it's so true it's it's so true because um i think about this sometimes uh th there are some commenters and stories who who be like slow news day right um mm -hmm. if you if you cover something that isn't immediately news on the day and some commenters in politics will say uh, you know, Trump's greatest brilliance is that he's always got some other mm -hmm. <sighs> crazy yeah. story, some other scandal to surprise you with. And then you forget the earlier one, such as, for example, we're still living in the year when the American president hosted the sports team with a whole bunch of takeaways and Big Macs and that whatever was it was. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was this year. You oh see what I'm saying? <laughs> you see, that is my point. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now, now I'm lost where the hell is going with this. <laughs> Well, um, that's the point, right? That's the point you were making. Yeah, I feel like I feel like as we come, we become more entrenched in these problems, and tech maintains the sheen of offering serious, substantial benefits. It just inspires people yeah. or encourages people to be um, exceedingly, like, and increasingly more fatalistic about this. So even if they understand the problems, they're like, oh, this is just how it is. At least in the U.S., there's a total blindness to the possibility of another system that is more equitable and more regulated. Absolutely. And and actually, the thing that I was trying to, uh, I just remembered what, what I was <laughs> trying to get at, is that if we write stories on the order of importance every day, so not what is the latest, but mm -hmm. what is the most important thing I need to say today, um, as a tech reporter, it would be Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, <laughs> and Microsoft are still dodging taxes to wow. the tune of hundreds of billions of dollars every Oof. year. It's, it's still happening. It's still happening. It's still happening. Those tax havens, there's like Bermuda is filing profits on, on like, I don't know, there's two pensioners in there with a whole bunch of peel boxes and they're filing profits of hundreds of billions of dollars. And mm -hmm. If those pensioners are that brilliant, we need to, you know, harness them in more productive ways. But no, what they do is they, they, they again, it comes back to this intangible assets thing. They offshore the intangible assets and they pay themselves massive licensing fees. Mm -hmm. 
for their own assets. So then they have expenses in the United States and profits in a place that they don't have to pay any income tax on. That just keeps happening and happening. And but but the positive thing is that people in the EU at least are savvy about this and they've just been discussing a digital tax. And I'm confident that can be painted in the US. It's just, well, there's those Europeans, they're trying to, <laughs> you know, skim money off our profitable yeah. American ventures. But but it's the case that Google comes into Europe, it does a whole bunch of business because again, advertising company, it sells ads, but then it books those profits in like Ireland and the Netherlands and it has special tax arrangements. And what actually happens is all of the infrastructure that Europe has built for the internet, uh, every computer, every fiber internet line, et cetera, et cetera, Google just uses for free. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't get to do that with the roads in your country, right? You pay taxes and you get services for your taxes. Google gets the benefit of all these all this infrastructure without paying anything for it. Well, I think the major takeaway from all this is that there are no problems and everything's <laughs> going to be fine. Uh, <laughs> Vlad, thank you so much for joining us. That was a pleasure. I, I want to say one more thing. Okay. If that's, yeah. <laughs> Just to um, respond to what you were saying uh, about... Um, sorry, <laughs> I got excited about saying something. Okay, it was that, um, oh yes, that the main point is, um, can you, can you mute again? Sorry. Okay, um, sorry. Uh, so the, that um, the main point that you would be discussing every time would be these tech giants, right? And so you're saying that maybe to a certain extent, people are getting blunted against yeah. um, these messages. And so it kind of reminds me of what people do in therapy a little bit, right? You start with what happened most recently in the last week, and then you draw it back to, you have to follow the connection between what happened in the most recent week to this grander idea. And so maybe um, maybe there's the same issues over time, but we have a new opportunity every time another thing happens to refocus the conversation, right? That's, that's the pathway that we can take. Does that make sense? Uh, that, that, make, that makes <laughs> okay. perfect sense. I, I, I feel the need to uh, listen and, and speak and listen to you guys more because this is, <laughs> you know, this is the other thing. We can get carried away with the everyday postulators, cover this, cover that, etc. Mm-hmm. It's a busy job. Um, and, and it's great to have somebody who does this more deliberate thinking about these things, such as you guys are obviously doing. Um, it's just kind of reminding us about the things that we can do. Hmm. Uh, because as, as I've been saying, the regular layperson doesn't have that much uh, power to reach everybody. But um, without sounding big-headed, people like me do. Um, hmm. And I'd be super glad to, you know, undermine Facebook's <laughs> quest for world domination. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's all promise to do that. Yeah, I'm in. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, guys. Uh, Thanks, Vlad. Thank you for talking with us. 